0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. So hello, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. We hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. Today, we're going to be talking about sustainable energy options in agriculture. Recent figures from the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland showed that Although the country has committed to reducing its CO2 emissions by 4.8% per annum from 2021 to 2025, the related emissions instead were up by 5.4% in 2021. So there's plenty of opportunity for sectors such as the agricultural sector to respond to this demand for renewable energy. And we're delighted to be joined by our resident expert in renewables, Barry Caslin, who's Energy and, De- and Rural Development Specialist with Chagas. Good morning, Barry. You're very welcome. Morning, Mark. Good to be here. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Barry. And uh, also good morning to Kevin O'Sullivan, who's ASAP advisor based in the Clarny office. Good morning, Kevin. You're going to help us with questions later on. Morning, Mark. Yeah. Great. So, Barry, you're joining us from uh, Brussels this morning. You're attending a uh, a meeting in relation to all of this uh, renewable energies uh, uh, sector and uh, the opportunities that are there for agriculture. Could you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing in this space?
1: Yeah, I suppose I'm here from Brussels this morning. We have a final meeting of the consortium of a U- European project called Agrofossil Free. So that has been a three-year project. It's finishing in September of this year. So that I'll be involved in a couple of European projects like that that will be funded through the likes of Horizon 2020. I'd also be involved in, I suppose, developing support material for advisors on the whole area of renewable energy. A lot of interest, for example, at the moment in solar PV and solar in general. So whether it's large scale or small scale, micro generation of solar energy on farms. And of course, there's a big interest in the area of biomethane, uh, as biogas or anaerobic digestion. It hasn't really kicked off in Ireland to any significant extent yet because we don't have any support mechanisms in place for AD or biogas, but I think watch this space, we will see something else happening there. So, um, yeah, there's a. I suppose it's really uh, communicating and getting that message out there as regards what are the opportunities uh, for renewable deployment on farms and maybe the opportunities for farmers to start in the future selling electricity back to the grid. And not just a small scale, but we will see larger scale options emerging even towards the end of this year uh, for selling electricity back to the grid. And, of course, there's a large interest in the area of biomass. That'll be, you know, pulpwood from forestry maybe the likes of energy crops maybe utilizing the likes of straw for combustion for energy systems as well uh, so it's looking at all that biomass that could be used for maybe heat generation and to meet our future targets that we
0: have um. very good thanks thanks barry and uh, look there's obviously the government are uh, putting a lot of resources into this as well uh, through, we can see through the various schemes so i'm sure you're going to touch on that during your presentation so and um, we'll we'll take some questions afterwards And uh, we will uh, talk to you in a little while. Okay, good morning, everyone, and uh, great to be
1: here. And uh, so I'm I'm just really going to kind of touch on the various areas where energy is used within agriculture and maybe look at opportunities that are there at the moment for renewable deployment, maybe energy efficiency options on the farm as well. So just start off by looking at maybe the likes of the industry, such as dairying, you know, and there's different, I suppose there's different benchmarks for energy use within the dairy sector, and it could be anywhere from 1,550 kilowatt hours per cow down to 1210 kilowatt hours per cow and best practice examples and um, you can see there the majority of that energy in dairy farms will be field operations tractors that'll be a uh, marked gas oil so uh, green diesel and then of course the energy that kicks in there for milk cooling uh, will be the largest on you know it's part of the dairy uh, aspect of it the milking aspect of it would be the milk cooling uh, 133 kilowatt hours per cow per year down to in best practice examples down to 65 kilowatt hours per cow so that's where the electricity is being used and then vacuum pump and water heating pig units uh, again you know there's various areas whether it's farrowing units waning houses finishing units and the figures are quite diverse there as well from 36 kilowatt hours per pig produced down to 16 kilowatt hours per pig produced and again there's benchmarks or standards for the poultry industry You know, and these are, I suppose, areas that some people probably are doing better on than others. And it's, you know, it's maybe by doing a farm audit that you'll actually discover where you're using most of this energy on your farm and where you can actually reduce the consumption of energy in in those various areas, whether that's for lighting, maybe by putting in LED lighting as opposed to fluorescent tubes. And that's more more, uh, efficient ventilation systems and humidity controls might reduce your energy consumption there. You can see there the difference between uh, typical and best practice examples there, and there's quite a variance. And I just wanted to make people aware that it is possible to get a a voucher from SEI for for a non-farm energy audit. Uh, And these audits, they identify that the energy usage for the different types of equipment on the farm you do have to have an, a- an annual spend of over ten thousand euro on energy to qualify for this audit, but this two thousand euro voucher would go most of the way, if not all the way, of covering the cost of an audit on your farm. So that's available from SEI, and it covers stuff like milk cooling, hot water pipes, uh, monitoring systems, humidity controls, pumps, lighting, heat recovery. So identifying where the energy is being used and where. Uh, you can, can become more efficient. And I always say as well that the number one fuel in every farm should be energy efficiency because there's no point in pumping heat into a poultry unit or a pig unit where you're losing that heat out through uh, uh, leaky doors, walls that are, that could be better insulated. So the first fuel is always get your efficiency right. And that would be the same in our own domestic dwelling houses as well. There's no point in pumping heat because that's renewable heat or fossil fuel heat, uh, there's no point in pumping that into a house that's leaky. First of all, we have to seal those doors, seal those windows and make the, uh, improve the efficiency of those houses and minimize the kilowatt hours of heat that's been generated either from renewables or from fossil fuels. Um, in terms of, I suppose, tr- micro generation and solar PV and this terminology microgeneration, and some of you may have heard about it in recent times, it's systems, that are generating electricity that are less than 50 kilowatt in output. So uh, 2023 was a significant year for solar PV. We hit the elimination of planning requirements in October of, of 2022. Um, you, we've had a new simplified grid connection policy. That's the NC6 and the, uh, the NC7 application forms. Uh, we have the revision to the, the VAT regulations where VAT has been removed from solar PV projects. There's a 60% grant towards TAMS that's on the farm and the farmhouse. Uh, And we'll be covering this after a while. And the paybacks here are anywhere between two and four years for uh, TAMS related uh, solar PV projects. So we have the options now for selling the electricity back to the grid as well, which has been a game changer uh, for for all of this. So I think a lot of the barriers have been removed towards uh, micro generation and solar PV. And that's why there's a significant interest in this whole area. I also wanted to bring your attention to, the, to this area of small-scale generation. So it's a uh, small-scale generation uh, electricity scheme that will be operational, I think, by the end of this year. So I suppose just watch this space, really, is the government is in the process of developing this type of support mechanism, because most people will be familiar with the micro-generation may have heard about it at this stage, that's small-scale, less than 50 kilowatt. But there has been nothing... Uh, and there's also the RES scheme, which is the larger projects that are over 500 kilowatts. Uh, you know, where we see hundreds of acres covered in the likes of solar PV panels or wind turbines, those larger projects are covered by RES, uh, Renewable Electricity Support Scheme, RESS. But there, up to now, there has been nothing in between. So between the 50 kilowatt and the 500 kilowatt uh, range. So there will be a, a scheme being introduced uh, later this year. It's been promised for this year. I think we'll be hearing something about it fairly soon is the small scale generation. And these are the systems between 50 kilowatts and six megawatts. Uh, so there'll be projects, I think there'll be opportunities here, even for, you know, farms and businesses to start exporting electricity projects, maybe up to one megawatt. Uh, we will see community projects going up to maybe six megawatts. So the, the terms and conditions haven't been released of this yet, but this is what is, is has been outlined in the consultation. And so the details are going to be released fairly soon. So uh, initiative has, has the potential to unlock opportunities for farmers to establish commercially viable medium to large scale renewable energy projects on their farms. It's going to run for eight years up to 2030, allowing projects to secure funding during that time. Uh, the biggest challenge is the ability of farmers to secure an appropriate grid connection for the export of electricity. And the scheme is likely to be funded from the PSO levy. That's the public service obligation levy. So that's the way it's done in most European countries, whereby you pay a levy on your, on your bills and that covers the higher cost of producing uh, this electricity from renewables. Uh, the government believes that the scheme could deliver eight hundred megawatts of renewable renewable electricity, equivalent to 5, four thousand acres of solar panels, by twenty thirty. The main types of technologies that will be in it will be solar PV, hybrid wind and solar projects, hybrid wind and storage projects, um, um, biogas fueled, high efficiency combined heat and power, biomass fueled efficiency combined heat and power so there'll be a variety of technologies unveiled that can be a, available and again this is going to be an opportunity for farmers to you know use their land for these projects micro generation type projects of less than 50 kilowatts are more relevant to you know your own self-consumption on the farm it's not really a diversification opportunity it's not an opportunity for making money um out of the process uh, you know, of selling the electricity, even though you can sell in a micro generation scenario, this small scale generation will be more of a diversification opportunity it will allow you to export electricity and set up projects further uh, commercially viable on your farm and start selling renewable electricity. So it's just it's a space to, to, to watch, really. So the current wholesale price of electricity is high uh, and the, the support mechanisms, I suppose, will be more than likely what's called a floating feed in premium. Um, and these these float, floating uh, feed-in premiums they work in a similar way to conventional tariffs. So farmers will receive a premium on top of the market price of their electricity. That's the way it's expected to work. So if the price of electricity goes below a certain level, and um, you know the market price of electricity uh, about two years ago was around five cent per kilowatt hour. At the moment, it's around fourteen to twenty-one cent per kilowatt hour. So if if it goes below a certain level and uh, that's where this feed-in premium would come to top that up to ensure a guaranteed payback on the investment so i suppose it gives a bit of confidence to people who are investing in these type of projects whether it's a community-led project or whether it's a, a on your own farm uh, and you're investing the project yourself it gives you that surety that you'll get the payback on your investment um so it's a okay and Then moving on to the larger schemes, that's the one that has to come and will be announced in the next few weeks. Certainly it'll be announced by the end of the year and that we know where where we stand in terms of support mechanisms that will be in place, whether it's a capital grant towards projects or whether it's a a floating feed in premium. But this one here, the RES, the Renewable Electricity Support Scheme, we do know about. So that's expected to deliver between two and a half thousand gigawatt hours three and a half thousand gigawatt hours in renewable electricity across 26 and 2027. Uh, so RES it's a competitive auction based system uh, where developers of renewable energy projects, both wind and solar, they compete with each other uh, for government support. Um, so there's a RES three auction. We've already had two auctions under RES. So we had RES one and RES two and RES three is due in September of this year. And I suppose this is the support mechanism that's really leading to the deployment of a lot of solar PV Right across the country. So there is an expectation that we will see in the region of between maybe 30 to 40,000 acres of land covered in solar PV with solar PV panels by 2030 to meet this target that we have. there. There is a target of eight gigawatt hours from solar PV by 2030. So we, uh, and that's part of the Climate Action Plan. Um. So this is on the series of auctions up to now, communities have been involved in this and it's not really for the faint hearted for communities to be involved in these auction based uh, systems because it does, they are quite complicated and it's looking as if communities will be moved out of this process and into the small scale generation process. And that's where projects up to six gigawatts, um, six megawatts, sorry, six megawatts will be um, funded through the small scale generation uh, scheme. So that'll be, um, um, I suppose, easier for communities to get involved, or theoretically, it should be easier for communities to get involved uh, by moving them out of RES and moving them into small-scale generation uh, as a funding mechanism. Okay. There's also funding there for communities. So despite the removal of community category from RES3, there's an obligatory community benefit fund that remains in place. So any of those big RES projects, they have to uh, set aside a certain amount of money within their projects to, for a community uh, benefit fund uh, so that provides money for communities in close proximity to RES funded projects for the duration of the support scheme and the support scheme is always there for 15 years from the time that it's given the approval. Um, there's also community projects there under SDI Sustainable Energy Communities uh, Programme, so that's something that I know that you highlighted on signpost in the past. Uh, there's a great example of, a, of an SEC. In Ireland at the moment, there's probably around over 600 different sustainable energy communities um, that, are, that are listed with SEI at the moment. And uh, there's a couple of those are farm ones, but there's a great example in Dingle, and I know you, you, you highlighted this one in the past, uh, where they developed a master plan in that region, looked at uh, wh- what type of um, efficiencies are being achieved in the various, and, on a number of farms where they carried out audits on those farms. Uh, and they found where the main energy was being used and where savings could be made. And they've also, um, you know, they're working together as a as a community as well in terms of um, buying solar panels and you know better buying power in terms of working as a group as opposed to working as individuals. Um, at the moment, we have no support for the area of uh, anaerobic digestion or biogas in Ireland. So. There is an expectation that we will see a a renewable heat obligation or an RHO uh, that'll be put in place to incentivize the use of renewable fuel. That's set to begin in 2024. Uh, A technical consultation was due to be undertaken in March of this year. It hasn't really happened yet. Um, We we have a support scheme for renewable heat that was launched in July of 2019. And this was, uh, you know, that's for biomass type boilers, for pig units or poultry units. Um, you know, our hotels or hospitals, uh, any large buildings can put in biomass boilers. Initially, the emissions trading scheme sector was um, 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 omitted from this. They weren't allowed to apply. So, but now in, in, in recent months, it was relaunched and it's now open to farmers and as well as the ETS sector. So there's a wide group that can avail of the SSRH or the support scheme for renewable heat, which uh, I'm going to go into a bit more detail on in a few minutes. So the support scheme for renewable heat that offers ongoing tariffs for 15 years for using heat from biomass or biogas, as well as a 40% grant for air, water, or ground-sort heat pumps. And TAMS Three also provides grant aid for biomass boilers and heat pumps. And just to, for your listeners, to give you an idea about the The whole biogas process and what's you know what what's involved in it. you know the the opportunities are here for farmers to maybe su- supply manure, maybe slurry for larger projects. I'm not too sure what way the whole process is going to work, but I think it'll be larger type projects than has uh, evolved r- across Europe. Um, I think these will be larger type uh, ad digesters or biogas units that'll be using manure and slurry and also uh, grass silage. Uh, to feed these digesters. So it goes into the primary digester and uh, from the primary digester, sometimes you have a secondary digester. And from that, you're generating heat, you're generating electricity. Uh, that's combined heat and power. And that's typically what has been done right across Europe, where you have your heat and your electricity being generated uh, on site. But I think we'll be going down the route of upgrading that biogas, that raw biogas, which is about maybe 60% uh Methane, which is about 35% carbon dioxide, and then 5% trace gases like water vapor and hydrogen sulfide. So we will be looking at maybe upgrading that biogas, taking out those trace gases, taking out the carbon dioxide, and you're left with over 97% methane. And that's for your what's your compressed biomethane. And of course, that compressed biomethane can be fed into the national gas grid. So there's no retrofitting of houses, putting in new boilers or anything like that. You're literally using the existing, um, you're feeding gas gas, into the existing uh, businesses that are already using it um, uh, and that's upgraded biogas and I suppose this is agriculture will uh, will have a major role to play in this business and for this, for this to evolve uh, because the, uh, you know farmers are the landowners and they have to decide and be convinced that they're happy that this makes financial sense for them to grow grass to feed maybe a digester they might necessarily be owners of these digesters or maybe they could potentially invest in these digesters themselves in the future but there will be an opportunity i think of uh, supplying grass or manure or slurry into these digesters as an income generating opportunity Um, and i suppose gas networks ireland are are really uh, pushing this whole area at the moment and because it's a realization that we can't continue to use fossil fuel gas or natural gas to heat our homes and our buildings and we have to Move towards renewable gas, and renewable gas. This is the only way we can actually really produce it, is from farmers providing grass for for from the uh, for di- uh, digesters and maybe slurry, and there'll be a lot of gathering on a lot of this um, material as well. So there'll be different types of structures needed to mobilise all these feedstocks in the future as well, because the government has a, set a very large target in the in the latest climate action plan for biomethane, and that's why I'm kind of referring more to biomethane than CHP or combined heating power, because I think we will be upgrading this biogas to biomethane. The government target is 5, 5.7 terawatt hours of biomethane gas by 2030. So that's quite a significant ask. It uh, mean the construction of anywhere between 200 and 250 biogas plants. There'll be various sizes from 20 gigawatt hour plants, maybe to 40 gigawatt hour plants. That's the way they're measured. And... Um, so the the only policy instrument to support the industry is the RHO, that's the Renewable Heat Obligation. That's the one I referred to there a while ago. So up to now, we haven't really had a support mechanism. Most other countries across Europe have um, deployed support mechanisms. You know, Germany has been doing it for the last twenty years. Northern Ireland has over eighty plants built at this stage. Um, you know, they got they, it was all down to support mechanisms in those areas. We don't have. Uh, any significant uh, digestion in this anaerobic digestion industry in Ireland because we didn't really have the supports up to now. But I think it'll be part of the jigsaw puzzle of technologies that's going to be needed to meet our renewable targets in in the future. So there won't be any one uh, renewable um, technology that's going to win out. They'd all have a role to play in in the future. So the only um, industry experts believe that it falls short of providing the necessary confidence and certainty needed by investors, this RHO. Um, so there remains to be seen what, you know how, how investors are going to get involved once the RHO and the details of it are announced. Uh, to construct the required number of plants, I know that the estimates are there that it's going to require an investment around 2.5 billion. And um, we do a target of an interim target of uh, by 2025 of one terawatt hour, uh, unfortunately, I think that the lead-in time for these digesters is quite long. You know, by the time you get planning and grid connections and, and gas purchase agreements, all of this in place, there is a lead-in time, and we still don't have a support mechanism in place to drive all to drive this industry forward. Uh, so, unfortunately, I, I think this interim target of uh, one terawatt hour by twenty twenty five could be difficult to achieve at this stage. Uh, and obviously, if we're, if we're slow at meeting our interim target, uh, our target of 5.7 terawatt hours will be equally hard to achieve as well. So there is a kind of a burning platform here. Um, so the government is also launching a biomethane strategy, and that's due to be released in the third quarter of this year. So there's various government departments and uh, uh, inv- involved in that process. Uh, the biomass industry it, it continues to be a significant contributor to renewable energy sector now don't forget grass is a biomass is a form of biomass as well and uh, but uh, this i'm talking about biomass here and the likes of the um, you know the, the the wood industry the pulpwood from forestry it'll have a, a major role to play in our transition to clean energy sources as well as energy crops um, the support scheme for renewable heat Um, I mentioned this earlier on um, as being a support mechanism that's there since uh, June of 2019. Um, This really, I suppose, when it it was introduced, we we entered into the COVID era and fossil fuel prices, as you might all remember, dropped significantly. So there wasn't uh, really that much interest in hotels or hospitals investing in uh, the SSRH or renewable technologies. The other issues about filling room space in hotels, et cetera, at that time. But now I suppose when fossil fuel prices have increased, uh, there's a realization here that they can insulate themselves by availing of this scheme. So as you can see here, there's different tiers, tier one to six. So the more the more you burn, the less you get paid. And this it's a bit different to the scheme that was introduced in Northern Ireland, where the more you burn, the more you got paid. So here, as you burn more, you get less payment per uh, kilowatt hour or per megawatt hour. As you can see here, the first 300 megawatt hours are paid at 56 euro and 60 cent per megawatt hour, and converting kilowatt hours to megawatt hours. And you can see here between 300 and 1,000, the next 700 megawatt hours are paid at 30 euro and 20 cent per megawatt hour. So uh, the more you burn, I think it's a well-designed scheme, uh, and, and there is a pretty good uptake, certainly in the poultry sector and the and the pig sector, who are putting in these uh, boilers. There have been some hiccups along the way, but I think generally the scheme is working well now at this stage. And that's just an example of you know a payback. You know, if you had a poultry unit, put in a 400 kilowatt boiler. If the these are only assumptions, by the way, if the cost of the boiler was two hundred and sixty thousand, and it was running for one point one thousand seven hundred megawatt hours per year, or one point seven million kilowatt hours, so the oil placed displacing is one hundred and sixty thousand five hundred liters. If you put a value in that oil at 66 cent per liter, as the cost of that oil would be one hundred and six, almost one hundred and six thousand euro. The wood chip, the wood chip is costing per annum. If we assume it's costing fifty eight thousand. Uh, that's a saving of 47,930 already by moving from oil to wood chip. Uh, so, you th- then if you add the SSRH extra income, that's the first 300 megawatt hours here because it's 1,700 megawatt hours. The first three, uh, 300 megawatt hours of 56 euro and 60 cents. Note these payments are available for 15 years, so 16,980. And then you get tier two at 21,140. And you get uh, tier three at, um, uh, five euro per megawatt hour which is again 700 megawatt hours so you add that together with this saving here uh, you're getting a total saving of 89,550 so it gives a payback in just under three years so again this is really just for calculation purposes and that you can see how the SSRH works as the price of, of fossil fuels increase you get a, a shorter payback Um, uh, but as the price of fossil fuels come down you get a, a But I suppose the expectation is that we will see this price going up and up with carbon taxes, et cetera, and to to move a move to decarbonisation. I generally put up this slide as well to give people an idea about, you know, what are the CO2 emissions savings within if by putting in PV panels or by putting in biomass boiler? So... Grid electricity, if you go on to the SEI web, SEAI website, the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland website, and you just Google their um, SE, SEAI emission factors, you'll see all these emission factors for grid electricity, uh, coal combustion, kerosene, uh, and their kilograms per kilowatt hour is generally the way that they're measured. So grid electricity will be tr- 0.346 kilograms of CO2 per kilowatt hour. And that figure has been coming down Over the last number of years, I remember about maybe 10 years ago, that figure was over 0.6 kilograms of CO2 per kilowatt hour. But because we have so much more wind, we have over 40 percent of our electricity is coming from wind now at the moment. Uh, That figure has come down to 0.346 and will come down more because we have a target of 80 percent of our electricity coming from wind from renewables by 2030. So that 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 will come down more as we charge our cars and heat our houses using grid electricity. That'll mean that that uh, operation will have a lower carbon footprint as a result. Um, so just to give you an idea, if a five kilowatt PV system generating four thousand two hundred kilowatt hours or units of electricity per year, that would avoid one point four five tons of CO two per per year. So. Or if you're using kerosene oil, and if you're just if you say your your tank at your your house, if you're using a thousand liters of kerosene, that each each liter of kerosene is about ten point has ten point five kilowatt hours per liter. So there'll be 10,500 kilowatt hours in a thousand liters of oil. And you multiply that ten thousand five hundred by the emission factor here of 0. 0.257 That would mean by combusting that in your tank at in your house you're you're emitting or releasing almost 2.7 tons of co2 per year so that's just kind of putting it in context that if you're making a saving uh, in terms of um emission reduction um you know on your farm but the how the deployment of renewable technologies such as solar pv or a biomass boiler can do that just note as well that you are releasing CO2 in the process as you combust biomass, but because it's originated from plant matter as opposed to being a fossil fuel that's been in the ground for millions of years, that's why it's deemed to be a carbon neutral fuel. Um, so it's from from a, um, from, um, a accounting perspective. I also want to make you aware of the solar capital investment scheme. So every eligible farmer can can avail of the 60% grant of solar PV systems. So that includes inverters, controllers, cabling, the isolation switches that's associated with with solar PV. It falls under what's called a standalone investment ceiling of 90,000 euros. So it doesn't affect um, uh, you know, alternative measures uh, under TAM. So in the past, for example, the solar grant used to be 40%, but if you got a solar grant, it would affect you getting maybe grants for slatted tanks or other buildings on your farm. But this now, the solar capital investment scheme is a separate silo of money. So if you invest in this and you get your 60% grant, it doesn't affect you getting, drawing down money for doing tanks over the rural development program period, which would be for another five years or so. Solar panels cost vary depending on the type, the quality, and the size of the system. If your solar is over the reference costs, you have to pay the difference, which is is, um which is not eligible for grant aid. So there's reference costs that are uh, there by the department and you have to um you know if you go above those um you you don't get paid the difference. If you go below those you get paid for whatever the cost of those panels has been. So the first tranche hasn't closed yet um it was to close on the 16th of June. So these Uh, solar PV investment uh, the the solar capital investment scheme will be done in various tranches the first tranche was due to be the 16th of June but it's now been extended out to the 30th (coughs) excuse me the 30th of June so we will see uh, uh, various tranches of this and there'll be lead-in times in order to get projects approved and you do need to get your approval from the Department of Agriculture before you commence any work and these are the reference costs so the Department have uh, have put in the, these indicative costs of 1,441 euro per kilowatt installed. So if you put in a 20 kilowatt, if you put in a 10 kilowatt system, it's 10 by 1,441, and you add on this uh, installation figure of 1,849. So if you take a 10 kilowatt peak in output, that will work out as, as uh, 10 by 1,441 plus this 1,849, and you get 60% of this figure. So the maximum amount that you could get in terms of grant is 9,917 towards this project. So it's quite a good and generous grant. And um, I suppose it is going to help us in meeting our targets of the eight gigawatts of solar PV on roofs and also uh, and, and and also in larger projects by 2030. So I think this kind of. Uh, initiative is, is really necessary, and creating this burning platform that people realise that this is a good offer and it is something that should be available of. Solar PV rechargeable batteries are also eligible for grant aid, uh, and that's up to fifty percent of the panel peak output. So what I mean there by the panel peak output is if you're getting a ten kilowatt system like here, you can only get a maximum fifty percent of that. Ie that's five kilowatt hours of battery storage. Some people might feel that's not enough, and some cases I think people will be putting on maybe larger battery storage um, uh, but they will only get TAMS grant aid of up to five kilowatt hours of battery storage so the reference cost and this works out as it's 703 per kilowatt hour so it'd be five by 703 it's four two six eight uh, and you also add the 753 of an installation cost so the six percent grant would give you 2,560 euro and 80 cent this situation for a five kilowatt hour battery and the difference than you pay yourself. So all electricity generated from grant-aided panels must be used solely for agricultural purposes and this includes powering the farmhouse. So a lot of people aren't aware of that, that you can actually get your farmhouse and your your farm, uh, um, you know, included at the 60% grant aid, it's not permitted to use the electricity for non-farming or commercial purposes. So I think we have to be careful on this, that there's no, if there's other businesses on the farm, on the same NPRN, uh, that this this has to be declared and that we should be making deductions for, for that amount of energy that's been used, maybe for an ancillary business that's maybe on the same NPRN, um, that's the meter points reference number. So it's only for farming purposes and the farmhouse. Uh, the regulations aim to prevent farmers having an unfair advantage over on other uh, unsupported industries because farming is actually the only industry at the moment that can avail of any kind of capital grants. This may change in the future that we may see capital grants for other sectors as well. But at this point in time, agriculture is the only area that's actually getting grants, um, maybe much the envy of other industries. So I think we have to do everything right here and make sure that there's no other commercial activities happening on the farm only for farming purposes. Um, But the department, the regulations, uh, the the department can't stop you from exporting electricity in many situations, like on a dairy farm where cows are out grazing on a hot summer's day in June, July and August. And you're milking in the mornings, you're milking in the evenings, you have that peak in demand for electricity in the mornings, peak in the evenings. You do have that. uh, You will be generating electricity throughout the day. You'll only be able to use a certain amount of a base load of that for cooling milk. Um, You know, you can. Put A certain amount of that electricity to charge in batteries, you can do a certain amount of it to, um, uh, to, to as a diverter to your hot water to heat your hot water to do a hot wash in the evening, for example. But you will have to be exporting a certain amount of electricity, so that's where farmers will be uh, sending in an NC7 application into uh, ESB networks and looking for a grid connection. This is going to be the main limiting factor, by the way. Uh, you will find that your transformer capacity will be the main limiting factor and will limit uh, how much electricity you can export back to the grid. Um, There are going to be, um, um, to claim the grant, uh, the size of the solar PV system will be determined based on the farm's electricity usage rather than a fixed grant amount. So essentially what the Department of Agriculture will do is look for your bills for the previous 12 months uh, and a solar survey will be done on your farm by uh, the company who's installing the technology and they'll Look at the bills and determine from that how much electricity you've used in the previous twelve months. And from that, it'll be possible to deduce, you know, that you're not oversizing the panels. And to be quite honest, you, it doesn't make sense to be oversizing the panels because uh, if you if you do oversize panels, you and you don't have the electricity, you don't have the export capacity for it. You're going to end up putting an export limiting systems um, at another cost because you just won't be able to uh, export electricity at certain times. So the solar survey, what they're looking for there is the previous 12 months electricity bills, the PV panel output, the battery output, the system mounting, mounting specifications. Only one house can be considered in the demand calculation. Uh, so sometimes you might have the parents' house, you might have a son or a daughter in proximity. It can only be one house that can avail of uh, this, uh, only one farmhouse that can avail of the grant. Uh, the survey will limit the size of the panels, which you can install, and the TAMS three-unit, has to be an isolated and discrete system. So if you're doing something um, different for another business, or you have to have have them as completely separate systems with separate inverters, that's converting from direct current back to alternating current. You have to have them as separate systems. Um, Any producer of renewable electricity has the right to export surplus electricity. And what they get is called the CEG or the Clean Export Guarantee. And this was transposed into law by Minister Ryan uh, back in 2018. And this is really um, a deal between the producer and the supplier of the, of the electricity. So it's based on the market rate, uh, current market rate. And the current market rate is between 14 to, six, uh, to 20, 24 cents per kilowatt hour or per unit of electricity. If I speaking to you two years ago or before the invasion of Ukraine, certainly, the price was down at around 5 cents per kilowatt hour. But market prices of electricity are quite high at the moment. There is an expectation that this price will come back, hopefully to around 5 cents per kilowatt hour again, because we do want to see the market rate of, of electricity reducing, because we will be using a lot more electricity in the future in heating our homes, whether that's using a heat pump that requires a compressor, for example, or whether it's charging our electric cars in the future, we will need more electricity. So we do want to see these market rates coming back down. But at the moment, if you're selling electricity, to the grid, there is a fairly decent price uh, for that exported electricity. Note you are doing a deal with that company, or if you're buying it from SSE, or if you're buying it from Borgosh or Electric Ireland, or Pinergy, whoever you're buying your electricity off, uh, you'll be selling electricity back to them as well. So it, it'll be going both ways. So you do have to be careful that the price of the electricity that you're that you're paying them at peak times that you're that you're that it's that you're still getting a good deal. And I think we will get smarter in terms of how we use our energy in the future as well as we start using more solar. You know, we'll be turning on washing machines and certain equipment on the farm at certain times of the day that will be coinciding with the peak uh, electricity generation. Because if you're buying in electricity at 35 cents per kilowatt hour, you can offset that by putting on equipment at a particular time of the day when you're generating that electricity and coinciding with that, it makes a lot more sense. So you can also use, uh, so, uh, you know, the the um, planning has been uh, removed, the planning requirement has been removed for those uh, uh, roof-mounted systems. Um, but there is, uh, you know, there are certain solar safeguard zones, there be areas close to airports or hospitals where landing areas where there may be potential layer issues. So there are limits there, but it's limits of up to 300 uh, square metres. So I, I don't think it's that limiting. Uh, around those solar safeguarding zones either. But there are limits for ground-mounted systems. So ground-mounted systems are eligible, but the area of the panels cannot exceed 75 square meters. But you, depending on, you know, the, the watt hours or the kilowatt hours, per, um, uh, the, 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 the watts per, per panel, um, that will determine, you know, how big you can get with those systems. But I've seen systems where you can go up to 17 uh, kilowatts of PVA for ground-mounted systems. So it'll all depend on the technology provider. So the height of these freestanding arrays that they shouldn't exceed two point four meters, or two, sorry 2.5 meters in height either. So there's uh, ground-mounted may be an option in certain situations. In terms of grid connection, you have to notify the ESB of your intention to install panels, and if you want to export back to the grid. So that means you have to apply uh, to the new type of grid connection, and that's an NC7 form for mini generation or an NC6 form for micro generation uh, process. Uh, we did a good webinar on this a couple of weeks ago with uh, ESB networks. If any of you want to see the grid connection process and how that uh, works, there's, um, there's, there's details on that. You can just, uh, I'm sure if you Google the Chagas um, connected to the grid, you'll find that webinar with ESB networks. So yeah, this is just the grid connection process. So um, you can see here for micro generation and mini generation is two types of terminologies. So up to six kilowatts for single phase, if you're at micro generation level, like your domestic dwelling house will certainly be at micro generation level, six kilowatts for single phase. And that's, uh, that's actually reducing to just over five kilowatts for single phase. Um, and uh, that's going back to the inverter. Um so you could have a slightly larger system, but that's what's going back to the inverter. And again, it's up to 11 kilowatts for three phase
0: electrical uh, consumers. There's no Ari, we're, we're We're getting a little tight on time. I do want to leave some time for questions. And yep. I also do want to, I know you want to say a few words about the, uh, the oh, yeah. EU project. So yep. um, if we could uh, maybe th- three minutes, we could wrap yep. things up.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go through this Mark. So the from mini generation is up to 70 kilowatts for single phase, so this is, but you're applying to ESP networks to tell you how large you can get with your system. i say most dairy farmers will be put in a mini generation connection um, um, request and up to 50 kilowatts of three phase. So yeah, so the Agro Fossil Feed project, that's what I'm at here in Brussels at the moment, it's looking at a pathway towards fossil free energy in, in, in Europe um, and the project is trying to close the gap between novel fossil energy free technology solutions and the development and the adoption of the use of available tools in everyday EU agricultural practices is trying to promote the effective exchange of novel ideas and information between research, industry, advisory, and the farming community, um, and it's teen into key uh, high-level uh, European policy mecha- measures as well. This is about I think we've developed around twenty policy recommendations at this stage. Um, the, the, you can I, one thing i would say mark as well is that if people want to register um if for on the agro fossil free uh, um regis, um uh, pl- platform you can register and see all these different technologies that are available and are being used right across europe from small scale hydro to solar systems um to small scale digesters, there's, there's a whole list of different technologies that are on that register that people could get an idea uh, as to what's being used uh, uh, to decarbonize or defossilize their energy use and farms across it. So that's, the, that's the website that you can uh, register on. Okay, so that's just gives you an idea and you can just browse there to see the different thefts or solutions used. So final slide. So there's opportunities for the development of renewables and farms is great. There's roofs, there's land space, dairy farms that operate spring cabin systems produce most of their milk in the summer, coincide with the solar gain, uh, in during the summer. Audits are something that people should be availing of to provide valuable information. Electricity prices have continuously fluctuated in recent years and will increase. Electricity prices in the coming years is, is, is likely. So Ireland will see an increased shift towards farm use and the supply of renewable energy. So i leave it at that, Mark, and we'll go to the questions. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Barry. We'll let you catch your breaths there for a moment. That was a real whirlwind uh, tour through all of the options available to, to farmers and um Look, there's a huge amount going on there, and obviously there's a huge commitment there from the government to support that transition to, to low carbon energy production across the country. Um, and maybe it's just worth highlighting to people as well that there's an event coming up uh in July in Gurchin, Barry, um, the, yep. the energy and farm diversification uh uh, uh event. Uh that, that's a good opportunity for people to, to get to see some of the, the technologies and and meet some of the different um uh, the bodies that are involved in this space yeah
1: that'll be a fairly big event. Uh, it's it's in, pre, in the past market was referred to as the energy and agriculture show but we've broadened it to energy and farm diversification show this year to look at opportunities for farmers to diversify into different areas such as food and agritourism and uh, other rural development areas as well so there'll be a um, you know a big emphasis from the LeO and involvement in prairie leo uh, as supported by the Department of Agriculture and Food here and also by AXA Insurance. So I think this will it'll be a fairly large event on the 20th of July in garching College. So if anyone wants to see more information about it, just uh, you can um, Google the Energy and
0: Farm Diversification Show 2023. Yeah, there is a website there for people to register. It's a free to attend, I presume. It's just you do need to register. It's the best advice to register. Yeah, and there'll be a a lot of exhibitors at it as well. You know,
1: the providers of these different types of technologies, whether it's solar PV and all those different
0: areas. Just, uh, I think, uh, Google Energy. Uh, We'll put the link into the the chat here. I've also included a link for the the platform uh, that you mentioned there to do the Agro Fossil Free Project, which looks like a really interesting project. Barry, you covered an awful lot there in a very short space of time, and um, people can look back at the presentation afterwards. Um, There was an issue, there has been an issue, a lot of discussion around the use of prime agricultural land for Solar farms. Um, we had. I see a couple of questions coming in there around whether uh, farmers can claim single payment on on this land. But um, just as a more general point, I mean, is there any concern there that uh, we could be uh, Im- impacting on our 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 the the, the food security? Um, I know there was a scheme there last year to support farmers to uh, sow more tillage land. Um, are there any concerns around that or what, what's what's the position there in relation to, to uh, erecting these uh, panels on, on better land, we'll call it?
1: Yeah, I suppose the concern has been expressed, but not just for around panels, but also on the area of AD and the use of, uh, you know, land for growing grass to supply anaerobic digesters. And you now the reality is that we're, we're suboptimal in terms of our output of grass per hectare. Uh, uh, especially in our beef areas. We have over 80,000 beef and sheep farmers who are on average using around maybe growing around six tonne of dry matter per hectare per er, per year. Whereas the optimal will be up around 10 to 12 tonnes of dry matter per hectare per year. So I suppose in a lot of beef systems and sheep systems, the output is it w- would, wouldn't be as high as it could be if land was limed and if the right nutrient was going back onto the land. Certainly from a sustainability perspective, you know, you wouldn't be putting on chemical nitrogen uh, on land that would be producing grass for anaerobic digestion because uh, that would affect the sustainability figures. And there are strict sustainability criteria at European level as regards how much, um, you know what kind of uh, what kind of reduction in greenhouse gases is required compared to the fossil fuel alternative, in order for it to qualify and meet the requirements of the of the renewable energy directive. So um, there, just to be aware of that, there is strict sustainability criteria. If this is to meet our targets going forward, it won't be accepted if we're not meeting, the, meeting that. Um, in terms of uh, solar panels, is is as, as, as well. Um, you know, sheep can graze around it. It is possible to carry out that type of agricultural activity. Potentially, uh, you know, depending on how the panels are spaced out, you could cut uh, grass uh, between it, but sheep grazing would be the main uh, activity that could be carried out. Um, You can get your BPS or your BIS, as it's referred to these days, uh, on that area, so long as no more than 70% of the area is covered by the panels. But the reality is that no more than 30% 30% of the area will be covered by the panels. Hmm. So what I'm finding in most situations is that if you had 10 hectares, for example, being covered by um, solar PV panels, you, you know, you'd know you probably use maybe 30% of that or three entitlements, and you would still have 70% of your land available, which is means you'd still have seven Great. entitlements okay. available.
0: Okay don't that, no, that that clarifies that, and uh, thanks for that, Barry. I'm conscious we have a lot of questions coming in from our audience this morning. So, um, Kevin, I, I I can see you're you're busy clustering some of those questions. We have about ten minutes, so Barry, if we could try and uh, maybe be fairly succinct with the responses, uh, we'll try and get through as many as possible because we do have a huge huge level of interest in this topic this morning.
2: Very good. Thanks, Mark. Um. Uh... Barry, just there's a couple of questions just in connection to selling back to the grid. Uh, it, it wasn't allowed uh, from solar grant-aided uh, systems under TAMS 2. Um, is it likely they will be allowed under TAMS 3?
1: Yeah, it is allowed. I suppose, as the department will say it themselves, they can't stop you. Uh, The Department of Agriculture will say they can't stop you selling electricity back to the grid, but they don't want systems to be oversized and systems should not be oversized because you will be limited by your maximum export capacity, uh, depending on your uh, transformer capacity in your local rural area. 90%. Of rural areas are what's called 15 kVA transformers or kilovolt amp transformers, which means that you will have limited capacity to export electricity back to the grid in those areas, unless you go to the high cost of upgrading that yourself, of upgrading that transformer capacity or putting in three-phase. Apply yourself, which I don't think anyone is going to do. So it's it's the transformer capacity is the main limiting factor.
2: Okay, and a similar question about the floating feed-in premium. Um, I suppose the same applies in that case.
1: Yep, the 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 floating well, we don't know enough about that, so I suppose we're in kind of a, in a grey area as regards speaking about the floating premium. That's going to be related to the um, to to the new scheme that's due to be announced later at the small scale generation uh, electricity generation scheme, and that'll be announced I think in the coming weeks, and we'll have an idea whether it's a capital grant. And it'll be, it'll these will be projects between fifty kilowatts and maybe up to six megawatts for community type projects. But I think we will see an opportunity here for uh, you know farmers, uh, maybe with they might have a, a small industry on their farm, uh, or they may want to just export, put up maybe a wind turbine or a small area solar PV, not cover hundreds of acres, maybe a couple of acres with solar PV panels and export that electricity back to the grid. I think that th- there will be an opportunity in that as a diversification opportunity. And in order to get that surety of your feedback, sorry, of, your, of your payback, you, you, you will have that floating premium that will go above, that will that be um, a buffer there that if, you, if the market price of electricity drops to a certain level, that feed-in feed in premium will kick in uh, to, to buffer that price.
2: Very good. And in connection with the uh, single farm payment and claiming uh, under the single farm payment, where does that stand with solar panels is the question co- coming up a few times?
1: Yeah, I just mentioned that there to Mark there a while ago. So you can claim your BIS or your BPS on land that, that has solar panels. So, so long as no more than 70% of the land is covered with the panels. But the reality is that uh, that I'm finding is that it's around the 30% mark that up to 30% of the land will be covered by the panels and that's the reduction or, or deduction that you're making uh, on, on your BIS application. Is generally yeah, over
0: 25 question, to 30%. Question here, Barry, just from an advisor saying that 80% plus of sheep and beef farmers are not eligible for this 60% solar TAMS grant that uh, solar companies are turning them down with the energy assessment uh, does that make any sense no, uh, they are, to you they are they are eligible
1: uh, i wouldn't say 80 percent of them are not eligible it's a farmhouse you i suppose look at the reality is that a lot of them are not using a lot of electricity at this time of the year mm-hmm. in their sheds but yeah. they are allowed include and a lot of sheds and farmhouses are on the same mprn the meter points reference number yes so if they're on the, that makes it a lot simpler if they're on the same mprn if they're not on the same mprn they still can put in the farm yard and the farmhouse, um, and the figure of the department is if it's been if it's within five hundred meters, if it, if they're within five hundred meters uh, from from one another, the farmhouse would have to be supplying some t- type some type type of electricity on the field at the back of that farmhouse. It would maybe supplying an electric fence, but th- that is providing for the farm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very so, good
0: clarity there
2: something on a, a similar team um uh Barry for times 3 can you apply for a battery storage larger than 50 the 50% limit but only receive the grant on the lower limit if you like
1: that's exactly right um you so you can claim the 50% so in that example that I put up there it was a 10 kilowatt system um uh, so all they can get is a five kilowatt hour battery system. So but if the what I'm finding, Kevin, is that a lot of people are putting in larger systems, uh, larger battery systems, because, the, you know, they the feel they can get. Uh, so if they go above the five kilowatt hours in that situation, say I put in a, an eight kilowatt hour system, they'll be paying for three of that themselves without any grant aid. Yeah.
2: Um- just a comment here could you comment on revenue from micro generation and the tax-free limit for agriculture is it comparable to domestic micro generation and are there mechanisms uh, to offset over a number of years
1: yeah so if you invest in a renewable technology like anything it could be putting in a variable speed drive on your farm it could be buying any energy efficient technology that's on the Triple E Register with SEAI. So if you just Google the SEAI Triple E Register, you see all those technologies that are there. You can write off the tax in the year of investment. So normally, we're you know, if we buy a tractor, if we buy um, some capital item, you're writing it off over a number of years uh, at twelve and a half percent per year. This can be written off in year zero, in in, in the year of investment. Uh, so you're you're writing it off all in the one year. So if you have a cash rich year that you will benefit in terms of a reduced tax bill by investing in these technologies.
0: Okay. And Barry, just a a, a comment, a more general comment that relates to the question I was going to ask you. I mean, this is quite a complex area for people who aren't familiar with it. Um, Sure. And uh, comments coming through here that, you know, it is really interesting, quite complicated. And clearly there is a large change is coming down the tracks, uh, do Chagas have plans to increase the number of energy specialists available to consult farmers or who can farmers talk to to get a uh, maybe an independent view on on what their their uh, opportunities are there for around renewables? Yeah, look, there's, there's an ongoing um, consultation
1: internally within Chagas at the moment to review of our, I suppose, our, our offer, our services, our advisory services at the moment. So there may be changes there in, in the near future, because I'm aware of that as well as you are, Mark, that mm-hmm. we do need to, uh, I suppose, provide that type of information to farmers, whether it's maybe doing energy audits or that advisors are in that space that they can give that information at farm level uh, to farmers about you know their, their current energy use their, their, and their potential ways of reducing their energy consumption. But there are individual auditors, are, I suppose, that around the country that, that do that and that will carry out a farm audit for farmers as well. So there's independent people uh, carrying out the service. But most of our advisors are agronomists and they uh, haven't been trained in this area specifically. We have done internal training. I've done it with our own advisors together with uh, ATU and Sligo. We've uh, done uh, training courses uh, for our advisors to upskill them in this area. But yes, when you're not doing it every day and when you're not not on your radar every day, it's an area that you can forget very, very quickly. So I think it's important to upskill people in this area that we're able to provide this knowledge in the future. Thanks.
2: Very good. Uh, Barry, this is a bit of an onerous question for you here. Um, I've heard a bit about fusion energy potentially being the big answer to our energy issues, for providing cheap energy. Is there any merit in this? If so, have we any idea how long it will take to be introduced here? And should we be taking this into consideration?
1: Yeah, I mean, look at the whole area of nuclear has been discussed. I mean, we we need a change in the constitution before we could uh, see nuclear energy being. Uh, I suppose part of our energy mix in the future it may be it, it um, you know and there's a there's merits for it in terms of reducing the carbon footprint of our electricity. France at the moment is over seventy percent of their electricity is coming from nuclear, so there is the potential that we could adopt it, but there would be a lot of resentment probably in local areas to get these kind of projects off the ground. I, I think there needs to be a burning platform before people will accept nuclear happening in their areas, there'll be other areas such as hydrogen, you know, that, that will be probably a possibility, not necessarily in the short term but, or medium term, but maybe in the long term, where we're, where we're looking at H2O or hydrogen, producing hydrogen from water through electrolysis. And there may be on-farm opportunities there as well in the, in the future. But some of these technologies are more me- medium to long term than short term. Yeah. And
2: nuclear, I, I, fusion, I, nuclear fusion is very much a technology of the future, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
2: And, mo- um, and
1: most most of the technology we spoke about today are more re- relevant to maybe the short term and what's happening now. But yeah, th- that's certainly areas that we could be looking at in the future. And it, it'll all change, there's no doubt about it. The way we produce and use energy is going to change dramatically in this country and right across the world. Uh, we will be moving away from fossil technologies, uh, you know, but there'll be, there will be hiccups along the way in that transition to renewables. But we're going to, you know, and there will be, I suppose, mistakes made along the way as well. But as I say, it's the jigsaw puzzle of technologies and it's bringing them all together is going to be the challenge.
0: We're just coming up at 10.30 here, Barry. Um, one final question here about the solar capital investment scheme there. What determines farmer eligibility for that scheme?
1: Every You need a herd number. Uh, you need, uh, so uh, every farmer is eligible for it. What you need to... Um, Uh, Do carry out the solar survey. So I think any farmer who's interested in it needs to be, I suppose, engaging a technology provider fairly soon to get into the first tranche uh, of of the solar capital investment scheme. And don't worry if you don't make the first tranche by the 30th of, of June, there will be another tranche and this scheme will be running for the next five years. It's a separate pot of money than other capital investment measures under TAMS. So there will be another tranche. But I suppose the earlier you do get in, you get to get your uh, your your installation in your system up and running, and you're generating electricity for your farm, and you're able to sell any excess electricity as well. So there is a bit of a lead-in time between uh, getting your your grid connection agreement with the ESB networks. Uh, so there is a bit of paperwork required. The main thing will be to dig out your ESB bills for the previous twelve months because that's that's the first question that any technology provider will be asking you shows your bills okay. for the previous about, for both your farm and your
0: farmhouse. Mary, thank you so much for your time today. And I know you've, you've had to step out of that meeting in uh, Brussels, but uh, we know it's, it really is an important topic for, for everybody. And, uh, uh, maybe to also make people aware that I know the the Department of Agriculture have done some webinars and co- communications around the the schemes as well, um, and uh, the, for people to go onto the Department of Agriculture website if they want further information. But I think uh, there's definitely uh, we might be getting you back again very based on the, the number of questions that have come through uh, this morning. No Kevin, thanks uh, so much for helping with with questions and um, a reminder. Yes, that that event. Uh, the Energy and Farm Diversification Show takes place on the 20th of July in Garchin College, County Tipperary. So you can find out information just on, on the website. Uh, next week, we'll be joined by Dr. George Ramsbottom, who is the newly appointed head of the Signpost Advisory Program. And George is going to be talking about the plans within that new program, free service to farmers, uh, supporting them to transition to a low carbon uh, production systems. So until next week, enjoy the the fine weather while it lasts, and uh, we will talk to you next Friday at 9.30. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost Series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost Series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.